everyone. Welcome to another episode of Opposites React. It is June 30th, 2021, and this is episode 75. I am Sarah, and I'm here with Tylor. How are you? It's not my name. Well, I didn't call you T-Dog either. <laughs> That's not going to be a thing either, so don't try and do that. <laughs> I am good. Oh, that's good. You have so much stuff happening this week. You have an Apex um, event, and you have MLB dropping tomorrow stuff. New season, inning, new inning program. You have stuff to do, and a long weekend to do it. Yeah, it's going to be a good week, weekend, I guess. It just feels weird. For some reason, today feels like a Friday to me. It kind of is, though, um, in respect. Well, it's because of the holiday tomorrow. but And you get Friday off. <laughs> yes, and we get Friday off work, too, which is nice. We get an extra long weekend. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I know you're right. Um the Apex event started yesterday, which is awesome. They uh, it's, two, it's running for two weeks, and they're bringing back the original maps, so the original Kings Canyon from like two years ago when mm. it was untouched, mm-hmm. and then the even the World's Edge map that they brought out in season three. So that was like six seasons ago. Uh, last that was last year then, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been sometime last year when it debuted that map. And uh, so yeah, it's pretty cool to play those again. Definitely a blast of nostalgia for, for the older players like me and for yeah. newer players who never had a chance to play those old maps. It's pretty cool for them too. And uh, and they have a bunch of new. Obviously, when they run they run these two week long events. So they probably mentioned in the past they have these like all these collections you can do. You can collect all these cool skins and. But they've been rehashing them. Where this is like brand new, brand new. Yeah, these look pretty cool. And, and uh, I did splurge on this one to be honest. So I really <laughs> wanted to get that Revenant heirloom. Mm. He, he gets besides him getting a really cool like Japanese ninja type of uh, what was it a samurai? He had like a samurai yep. skin. And he also gets like a huge scythe because he basically looks like the Grim Reaper, it's right? So wonderful his for huge him. scythe is awesome. I that's appreciate really that. Cool. When I saw some guys on Twitch yesterday, I just got it like right away when the thing came out yesterday afternoon. I'm like, I gotta get that. <laughs> so it wasn't too. In the years past, it usually costs around two hundred dollars Canadian to mm. get everything you need in the event. This time they had kind of a deal, and I was able to use some like uh, crafting materials to to um, supersede some of the other. Okay packs but it's basically i don't get to spend i think only with air quotes here it sounds like a lot to some people but i only had to spend 160 dollars this time to get all this stuff so Not too shabby considering that it's a game that i play you know if you figure i play it on average an hour or two hours a day so let's say keep it low 50 hours a month at least yeah have you even spent any money on it this year no i probably yeah. spent any money on it since like last summer that's what i thought so i feel kind of due to pay them because <laughs> i love the game i want to reward the devs and everybody for the awesome work they do on the game so for sure no i get it yeah and I haven't spent any money on MLB this year either, aside That's from obviously purchasing it. That's true. It's a cheap year for you. Yeah. Like you mentioned, yeah, I'm excited for MLB tomorrow because usually they drop the new programs on a Friday, but tomorrow, probably it's a holiday, they're dropping in the new fourth inning program tomorrow, so that'll be cool. Some new stuff. Because I'll be honest, I've kind of maxed out the current program. It was like I think it was like last Thursday or last Friday, so for the last little few days, I've just been playing online, like Battle Royale and events, just kind of grinding away on that stuff because there's not much else to do XP-wise. Mm. But... Yeah, that was really good. Um, and I, I wanted—I told, I promised Lucas I'd play some more Ratchet and Clank with him tomorrow. We haven't played for a few days. Okay, cool. We've been busy the last few nights, so yeah, I'll play some more Ratchet and Clank this week coming, and yeah, should be good. Fun, fun. I don't think there's really any new movies coming out that I'm going to be watching. Like nothing new coming out on the Cineplex store or Netflix that I'm aware of. So I might just go back and catch up on some old stuff. I saw actually I still have to watch a new episode of Loki mm. that came out this morning, so I haven't watched it yet. But yeah, uh, how about you? What have you been up to? We did one thing together. We finished Clarkson's Farm. Yeah, give me your opinion on that. I really liked it. I thought it was super information informational. Is that a word? Informative. That's probably a better a better word. Um. Yeah. No. I. It. it there was. It was just a weird time too that they made it because it was d- during COVID also that they had to do filming and 
just how the farming life totally changed because of that and because of the crazy weather they had in uh, Britain that year that uh, made the, it, it, the one of the worst farming seasons since the 70s. So it was really interesting to watch like the struggles of that and the daily life of a farmer just like it is literally nonstop. Um, I, but I really liked the learning process, but also it was funny, which helps. <laughs> what did you think of it? Yeah, no, I loved it too. Like I said, it was, I didn't think it was too long. They didn't overstay its welcome. No, not at all. Eight episodes, like the perfect length to kind of cover everything they needed to get out to. Yep. All the information they wanted to relay to the audience. Um, and I think it was cool too, is like, you know, obviously Clark, Jeremy Clarkson was the main draw of, of the, of the whole series, but mm-hmm. it was cool getting to know some of the other, um, people that he worked with and how they kind of grew over the series like yep. you know like caleb and charlie and yep. the other guys on his farm i don't remember them. the guy you can't understand gerald yeah. gerald yes yeah and it was i think ellen was the one who wrangled up the sheep she was oh the shepherd, yeah the ellen. shepherd yeah. and his girlfriend lisa right <laughs> yeah so no it was a really good series i hope if they do a season two i'd love to watch it um i don't know if they will like i thought this was good and compact like yeah, i don't know unless season two is drastically different like let's just say next year like everything goes right film it. yeah right <laughs> or there's different challenges to overcome i don't know maybe mm. he doesn't do the sheep this year maybe he does something else with animals mm. well his one of his male sheep died and that was sad or yeah. rams when his right, ram one died. Rams, yeah no it was, it was a good series i'm glad we watched it um it makes me curious about the handler one the cooking one did he do the james may one or no hammond's one was a cooking one. Oh, i thought it was what was no, his he's on like an island like blowing stuff up oh <laughs> interesting no. no james may has his own cooking show right i love his japanese one i'm just not sure how yeah. i feel about the cooking one i'll go back maybe we'll see but that's it so shall we get into the main topic then for today the greatest year of movie history in the past two decades i'd say at least yeah i would say in my so in my lifetime let's say since the late 80s then i think that this particular year we're going to talk about was probably the, so in the last let's just say 30 years make a nice even number last 30 years i think this was the best overall year for films or quality films um sure yeah not to say that like a lot no a lot of the movies that i mentioned on this list are not all necessarily going to be like academy award winners there's gonna be a few sleepers in here a few like ones that got kind of panned critically that i really enjoy from oh, your, I know what that one is. Perspective, okay. <laughs> Might be a couple on there like that, but but no, I think it's just a very unique year for movies. And towards the end of the year, like like the way I told I told you this before we went on tonight, but I, I basically the way I broke up this category to make it more digestible and do it over multiple episodes is I rounded my list to twenty five films that I really loved in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna break it down into five five movies per podcast we're going to talk about so we'll do it over dokey. five series let's call it part one part two whatever you want to get creative with the titles but <laughs> um yeah so we do five at a time and like if we're doing these chronologically so in the order in which they came out in 2007 i'm not, I'm not <gasps> you ranked. have to say 2007 cool you have to say 2007 well you said that for me so you're welcome every time you <laughs> say 2007 you gotta do that like that i'm not gonna do that every time boring but uh, yeah, so, the, the, so just to be clear, this is not me ranking these in any type of order. Um, this is literally just going I know what the best one chronologically is. by release that year, by theater release. And then uh, by the end, at, at the end of the year, once we've done, once we've covered all these films, then I'll go back and do some kind of a ranking list because it'll be really intense. But for now, um, yeah, so I uh, just to be clear too, I'm going to mention each, besides mentioning each title, obviously I'm going to mention why I really enjoyed it. I'm not going to get too specific into details and spoilers and stuff. I'm not going to be doing a huge overcap, overview 
sorry, of the film like I do for some of the other reviews on here. Um, maybe just talk about each one for a couple minutes and then move on. Get your opinion on on the ones you've seen or the other, I've at least discussed. Spoiler, it's not many. Oh, I'd say there's probably at least 10 on the list of 25 yeah, you've seen. Yeah, but that's a long time ago, too. Yeah, then we'll... I showed you one today on Netflix. You can kind of get a bit of a primer for that one before we. You showed on. me the beginning and the end. It wasn't even the end. It was, <laughs> it was the almost middle. the end. Was, I was just showing you the basic plot. But anyways, so to start the list off here again, this so this movie came out in. I mean, technically, it's if you look at look at if you look up this title on your Wikipedia, it technically is classified as an 06 release, but that's because that's when it came out in the film festivals. It didn't get a wide release until January of 07, so that's why I included it on here. So the first film on our list um, is, a, is, in my opinion, a very uh, probably one of the most underknown films you'll hear me talk about in this segment um, of, of films from 07. Um, and it is on Netflix right now, too, by the way. If people want to check it out after I mention it here, we, I did see it on Netflix today, so I showed Sarah a little bit of the film because she didn't remember me talking about it much in the past. But it is a, a Western film uh, called Seraphim Falls. Sort of a weird title. Um, I don't know exactly what the title means. Like, I don't think the title is ever referenced in the film, and I don't even know if it's a real place. Like, um, so I got I don't again. I don't know where the title came from. Maybe maybe I haven't watched. I didn't watch the entire film in detail today. I only watched some of it. So maybe it is referenced somewhere in the middle of the film, and I just don't remember it. But anyways, is that where the beginning of the film took place? No, it takes place in like the movie take the movie takes place in Nevada in like the eight, late 1800s like it's like mm. 1868 the title card tells you at the beginning but it doesn't ever no it, it takes place somewhere else at the beginning of the film I don't remember it doesn't say Seraphim Falls but anyways uh, it is a western starring uh, Liam Neeson and Pierce Brosnan uh, which is cool for a couple reasons number one neither of them have been in a western before uh, before to this before this movie they'd never been I think Liam Neeson was in a western after this one came out but this was the first time they both had ever been in a western and it's actually I was reading the Reading on Wikipedia that Pierce Brosnan really wanted to be in this movie just because he always wanted to star in a western, so that's probably <laughs> he figured like he wanted his last chances. I also didn't know from reading the synopsis earlier that originally the character Pierce Brosnan plays was supposed to be played by Richard Gere, oh. um, but he dropped out for some of the scheduling issues, so they brought Pierce Brosnan. In. Yeah, Brosnan was great. I think Gear would have been good in the role too, but um, after having watched it, I, I'm glad Pierce Brosnan got the job. So he did a great job. You um, love watching two Irish guys try to be American is what you wanted. Yeah, I told you that earlier. So I'm trying to make it think that you came up with that just I now. Know. But yes, it, it is interesting. <gasps> no credit. What? <laughs> Gee, I remembered it. You should be happy to remember something you said. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, since we did talk, just talk about Liam Neeson a few weeks ago, for those who don't remember, he is Irish. Uh, so is Pierce Brosnan. So uh, yeah, the irony when I mentioned this earlier that I think it's two, you got two Irish actors playing American cowboys in this film, both trying to hide their accents. I think Brosnan does a better job than, than Liam Neeson does to trying to hide his accent. But um, part of the charm of the movie, right? <laughs> so yeah, like long, long story short, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get into specifics of the plot. The movie is basically just one long chase sequence. It's not super long. I'd say it's maybe an hour forty minutes or so. Um, but yeah, the movie. Um, just starts off with uh, Neeson's character chasing Brosnan through the wilderness, like I said, like 1868 or something like that. They're both former soldiers of the Civil War. One was a Confederate and one was on the on the Rebel side. I can't remember the exact name of the, the groups back then, but um, one, one character trying to chase the other character for something that happened. You'll see flashbacks throughout the film, I'm going into specifics, but there's flashbacks of something happened to one of the character's families during this war, and he wants to get revenge on the other man. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a couple of like things that are revealed throughout the film that you know it, you don't really know which character to root for at the beginning. You just know mm-hmm. one character chasing another one because he wants revenge. And then as the movie goes on, you learn you actually sort you spend a lot more time with the Pierce Brosnan character than you do with 
Liam Neeson's character. So you feel, I think, a bit more sympathy for Brosnan's character. But once there's a bit of a reveal towards the middle of the film, which I showed you, I think it tries to sway you towards understanding why Neeson is so bent on revenge. Right. So, but it's a, I mean, it's, it's a technically well-made film. Um, the cinematography is great. And they got, I think the cinematographer's name was John Toll. He did like Braveheart, um, Thin Red Line, a couple of the films from the uh, 90s that were really good. So yeah, great cinematography. The director was sort of a, un, like this was his first feature film. He, he'd been, he'd done like TV shows before, mm. like CSI and other, you know, syndicated shows. But this was his first and only directorial debut. He didn't, he didn't direct another uh, Hollywood film after well, this one. tell them why. Well, it was a box office flop, but again, I think it had to do, it had a very limited release. And movies, generally speaking, movies that come out in January in box offices mm. do not do well. I think where most studios dump movies. Because again, you got to remember like 07, this was before obviously Netflix and other streaming services were a big thing. So when you had movies that you didn't think were going to perform great, you just throw them out in January and try and make a few million bucks back and then, you know, make some rough DVD day. sales. But mm. so this movie only had a budget of 18 million, which obviously is pretty small, even for a film that came out, you know, almost 20 years ago. But, um, yeah, it only made about one point two million in the box office. I think it only had to run for a few weeks. Um, so yeah, it, it obviously didn't make any money for the studio, but uh, but the critics reviewed it pretty well. And I think there's a little bit of word of mouth that came out over the years about it. Again, people see the cat. There's a lot of other good actors in the film besides the two I mentioned, but they're obviously the main draw. But uh, yeah, I think if you're looking for something that's it's definitely a slow paced. It, it takes a while to build up towards for the first half hour or so, but. If you enjoy either of those actors and you just want to watch sort of an unknown Western that has pretty small stakes. I mean, this isn't a huge, you know, Clint Eastwood Western or anything like that. It's not going to be super, um, it's not super entertaining. I'll put it that way. Like the movie is very, has a very slow draw, but I, I really enjoyed the acting performances. And like I said, the cinematography, I thought it was a strong film and uh, I like rewatching every once in a while. It's like a replay value for me. So yeah, that's my thoughts on it. I think it deserves a spot on the list of 07. Towards the bottom of the list, but still deserves a spot of recognition for me. Not as good as Shrek 3. We're not talking about Shrek 3. Get, me out, get out of here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, next one on the list. Uh, is <laughs> He's already angry at me. <laughs> Shrek 3. Get out of here. Um, next one on the list uh, is definitely one of my favorites from 07. If we're talking about movies that got completely overlooked as just like, like no one ever talks. If I bring this movie up to people... They, most of them don't know what the heck I'm talking about, but I tell them, I mean, I used to tell them to go on Netflix and watch. It's not on Netflix anymore, unfortunately, so you have to go probably buy or rent it somewhere ask, else or ask to borrow it from me. I, again, I only have the DVD. I don't even have the Blu-ray for it. I just have the <gasps> DVD. Yeah, I got to find the Blu-ray for it, but I tell there's a 4K version, but mm. uh, the Blu-ray at least. So this movie came out, oh my gosh, why do I keep saying that? Of course it came out in 07, but this was also a January, <laughs> I think this was also a January 07 release. Mm. Um, and I did see this one in theaters. I think I saw it in theaters only based off of the cast a lot of the cat mm. like it's got a lot of um not huge a-lister names in it but you have like um you know you got well, well ryan reynolds has a prom- pretty prominent role in the film this is before he blew up as yeah. you know like green lantern well i was gonna say deadpool or anything else but Deadpool's uh, way later yeah i'm saying back then he was known for like what blade trinity yeah and uh a couple other comedies he would do he did a lot of comedies in the 2000s but so ryan reynolds is in this you got ray liotta yeah, Jeremy Piven, like from from Entourage, people know who I'm talking about. Sure. Plays the the lead, the lead sort of lead role. Um, you know, you have uh, Joel Edgerton, another good actor that blew up after this movie came out. Uh, gosh, there's so many good. Actors. I'm trying to think who else is in it. Um, you got uh, Matthew Fox is in it. For people who watch Lost, would know who that is. He actually more has more of a cameo in the film. But anyways, so the movie's directed by Joe Carnahan, who I think this was his second 
feature film. His first film was also really good. I think it came out back in 02. It was called Narc. And that was a movie about cops. That was a really good film. So this was his second one. He definitely got a bigger budget for this one, you can tell, um, because he got a lot of great actors. And just, but I just love the, I think he wrote the screenplay for it too, Joe Carnahan did. But this movie basically is, long story short, it's about a, a Las Vegas musician who is sort of entrenched with the mafia. And um, because of all the secrets he knows about the mob, he's getting a bit too powerful. Um, and, you know, they're worried he's going to divulge secrets to, like the FBI and all this other stuff. He's being monitored all the time. So they, eventually they put out a hit, uh, the mafia puts out a hit order on, this one musician his name is buddy israel and uh so he ends up hiding in like the penthouse of a hotel in vegas and then the whole movie is about the whole first half hour of his movie is just about all these bounty hunters it'll show an introduction for all these groups some of them are groups you have like three a group of three brothers mm. who are all hitmen and then you have like you know professional more professional looking bounty hunters you have a guy who goes like undercover with disguises and mm. so they have like 15 or 16 different people that are all going to descend on this hotel in Las Vegas and try and kill this guy in the penthouse. And they're all obviously going for like a million dollar bounty. Mm. And um, and then Ryan Reynolds and Ray Liotta play like these FBI agents who are trying to get there and get him into custody before the other hitmen show up. So, but towards the last half, like the last hour of the film is just insane. Like mm-hmm. with all the action and all the different twists and stuff that go on. Um, the movie doesn't take itself... Well, I mean, no, it's not true. It does take itself seriously in some aspects. It knows how to balance the comedy and the seriousness though. And it does a very good job of not making anything seem too over the top. But um, in my opinion, though, I've shown you. I know I've shown you this before. I think it has one of the best endings. Yeah, I've I agree. ever seen. It's fun. I'm not gonna spoil it, but I'll just say the last five minutes of the film, including the music they use, is phenomenal. I remember when I saw it in theaters. I was already hooked. I was watching the movie in theaters with a friend of mine from high school, and uh, we both we were both loving the hell out of the films we're watching. It was just entertaining from start to finish. And towards the end, when it sort of got really serious, and they sort of revealed a lot more twists that were they were sort of foreshadowing throughout the film. Once the ending hit, though, the last five minutes, I was just like. My jaw was on the floor. I was like, I love this ending. And I was like, I want to recommend this film to everybody. Even though critically it got panned. I was going to say. I think Rotten Tomatoes was like 20% or something. I'm not sure why everybody hated it so much. Um, And I don't think it was a huge box office draw either. It didn't have a huge budget, but probably didn't make a profit. But I definitely, I love this film. Smoke Smoke and Aces, it's called. Um, They made a sequel, which I think was just a straight-to-DVD, which was terrible. It had none of the original cast. It was just sort of like a cash-in. But the original... Cash-in to the box office... Bomb? Well, because it was sort of a cult favorite after it came out. I think it did much better in DVD sales than it did uh, in the box office. But yeah, it's definitely one of my most underrated and favorite films of 07 that I think no one ever talks about. So yeah, it's two back to back now that sort of sleeper hits of 07. Mm-hmm. But now we're starting to get into the more serious, big budget films of, of 07. Released. I think this next one was a March release. Oh. <laughs> and you and I watched this one, I think, last year. But uh, and I've watched it many times actually over the years. But the next one, I think we have talked about it before on the podcast. People probably remember, but it's called Zodiac, and that's uh, directed by David Fincher. And um, that's one again about the, based on a true story about the Zodiac killer that was in San Francisco. I think it was in the sixties and seventies, and mostly took place. Uh, yeah, late sixties. Yeah, um, but you know, it started like Jake Gyllenhaal, Robbie Downey Jr., uh, Mark Ruffalo. Long, really good cast. Great directing, great phenomenals. Like this is probably one of the longer movies on the list this year because this one's definitely over. That long, no, I think it's definitely over two and a half hours though. Oh wow! But yeah, you're right because how well paced it is, how invested you are in the characters. Mm-hmm. It's a great film. I, it's not a film I could rewatch like every month or something. No. But yeah, maybe once a year or so. I really just enjoy how well made the film is, and I know I've talked about it before, so I'm gonna go into too much detail. But um, I still need to read that book. Is what I remember every time I talk about. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this one's on Netflix or Amazon Prime or that stuff. No? Okay. But, again, it's worth... If you can track down a used copy somewhere, it's definitely worth a, worth a watch for sure. 
I think it, I think it was nominated for a few Academy Awards, uh, mostly probably for the directing and the cinematography and stuff. I don't think there's any acting awards, but no, great film. Um, you really want a good thriller. Yeah, there's a few scenes in the film that are really tense. Yeah. Yeah, it's more of a bi- biographical that drama. Too. With a few intense scenes. Yeah, I agree. It's not very violent. It's not a no. lot of... Well, I shouldn't say that. Some of the Zodiac killings are kind of intense. Yeah. yeah they they do show them in pretty graphic detail. But that's sort of towards the first hour of the film. After that point, all just becomes investigative. Mm-hmm. And you don't really see any more of the killings. But um, yeah, it was great. Um, next one on the list is um, another small budget one that uh, I think is really overlooked. Uh, and you haven't seen it for a number of years. But I know you did watch it at one point. Maybe you barely remember the plot, but the next one is called The Lookout. Oh, I've seen this one. And uh, it stars Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And uh, who else is in it? You got Matthew Good, Isla Fisher, Jeff Daniels. Not a huge cast. There's probably only about you know six or seven actors that have like prominent speaking roles in the film. It's definitely a small cast. But, but the, the plot, the story I find very interesting. So the main character is a guy in his, I don't know, early 20s, let's say. I admit, I didn't look up beforehand. I can't remember the, the character, the main character's first name. But uh, in the film, he the film opens with him. He has a car accident, and uh, like when he's like a teenager, like probably right out of high school, uh, he has a car accident uh, with a bunch of other people in the car. I think they he was driving at night with his lights off or something, just kind of like showboating for his girlfriend, and then he crashed the car. And I think I can't remember if anybody died in the accident. I think a few people were seriously hurt. The main character, for example, it, during the accident, he got I guess some form of amnesia or memory loss. So he has. It's like retrograde amnesia or something they call it. I can't remember exactly what they call it. But basically, it's like it's like a short-term memory loss where it's like every day he has to leave post-it notes all over his apartment and he has to remember, he has a routine every morning because he can't remember to do basic things like just remembering to, you know, brush his teeth every morning or to like where he goes to work. And like he's working as a, as a janitor at a bank. It's the only job he can really hold down because of his memory issues. So what happens is someone from his past, someone he went to high school with, um, you know, finds out he's working at this bank and they want to rob the bank. So they're going to use him to get inside, like mm-hmm. to rob it at night when there's only like one security guard around and they can easily just take the place over. So, um, yeah, it sort of turns into this like crime drama. Um, but, you know, and the main character sort of uses his, if you want to use, if you want to call it a disability in this case, I guess he uses his disability to his advantage. And he actually, um, the second half of the film is pretty interesting with the way that he sort of, um, gets one over on the robbers and gets the upper hand. You know what I mean? I'm not going to spoil what happens, but uh, it's a it's a well-paced film. It's not very long, probably an hour 40, hour 45, uh, but I think it's really interesting films. You don't see a lot of films like this. It's very small stakes, obviously. You're just talking with someone robbing a bank for like, you know, a few hundred grand or maybe a million. I don't know the exact number, number they mentioned. So it isn't something like a huge scale, like Heat, or robbing a bank, having huge shootouts in the streets and stuff. It's a very low-budget film, and it's more about the characters than the than the action. Although the second half, the last half hour of the film is pretty intense, but... Yeah, The Lookout. I would say check it out. Again, I don't think it's on any of the streaming services. A lot of these films aren't. You have to track them down at a used video store or maybe um, maybe you can rent them on the Cineplex store for a couple bucks if they're on one of their... They run these sales all the time for older films. But uh, last one on the list is... Technically, this one's cheating a bit because even though I said we're doing five films tonight, this next one is technically a double feature, but it counts as one film. Like when I saw it in theaters, it was one film, but they released them separately on DVD as Tarantino likes to do. This is a Tarantino thing. It's sort of like Kill Bill 1 and 2. So he came out with something in 07 he called Grindhouse. And this is a reference to... This is going back to, I think, like the 60s and 70s when Grindhouse was the term they would use for these films where they were really like... Like low-budget films, they would shoot them on like you know, whatever the, I can't remember what type of film stock they called it at the time. It was like 
not 60 millimeter what was it called it was like you know a really old film reel before everybody started going to the digital stuff obviously in the 90s and 2000s so the film he intentionally made this film obviously he made it in 07 but he made it to look really grimy and like when you're watching the film there's like filters on it and there's like parts of the film be like kind of like burned out you know, like, okay. like how a film reel will get burned sometimes if it's used too much so he uses the filters and the effects to some pretty cool um pretty cool examples throughout throughout the films but the first one he so he he he's does it as a double feature so the first movie is called um planet terror and it's sort of like this cheesy b movie like um zombies and like it's very like the movie's very it's very tongue-in-cheek um you have like what was it like bruce willis is in it you got like rose mcgowan uh, michael bean a lot of other good actors are in it like just really hamming it up like it's intentionally like a b movie and there's a lot of like cheesy like like a lot of the zombie and like gore effects because it's a tarantino film there's gonna be a lot of action and gore um are done really like campy almost like a 70s style like you would see from something like a b movie back then so it was a really cool experience seeing theaters i remember the audience i was with was loving it um yeah and then so what happened in this one was so each movie is about an hour 40 hour 45 actually the second movie might be even just a little bit shorter than that but what happened when i watched it in theaters since you're basically sitting there for three and a half hours to watch these two films Mm -hmm. together after the first one was over they would have like a 10 minute intermission like you would have back in the day, the thing would run wow. thing on the screen where like the popcorn's walking around and dancing. <laughs> it's like go to the lobby and get your snacks, you know that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty cool. So then the second film is very different, and this one was definitely a throwback to again like seventies uh, action films with really low budgets, um, but had like would have really cool like practical car chases. Mm. So in this one, uh, this one's called Death Proof. The second movie is called Death Proof, and it stars Kurt Russell as like a deranged stuntman. His stuntman Mike, I think his name was. And basically, what happens is he stalks. He usually stalks women, and then he would like he his, his introduction is he's at a bar, and he kind of like cons this girl into giving him like a lap dance or something from like the jukebox because he he makes a bet with her and she loses the bet. So, anyways, he ends up giving this one girl a ride home afterwards because you know she got drunk at the bar or whatever. So he's giving her a ride in his stunt car, which is like a modified. It's like a I don't even know if it's like a Dodge Challenger or what kind. It's a huge muscle car. I can't remember the exact make and model, but um, it's all black. So he's driving this girl home, and he's got like sort of like so he's in it's a it's sun car, so he's got the roll cage, he's got like the the window okay. between him and the passenger. So when he gets in, like the the girl, he's giving her a ride home, and then as he's driving her home, she's like, "Oh, you missed my turn." And he's like, "Nah, nah, you're not going to go that way tonight." And then she starts getting scared because he's just, he starts then what happens? He starts driving erratically, like just swerving around and like slamming on the brakes because she doesn't have a seatbelt on her side. It's a stunt car, oh. so she just like bounces all around in this compartment. And eventually, he does kill her in the car. I'm not going to spoil how because it's pretty gruesome, but on she purpose? dies. Yeah, he kills her. Like she dies as a result of car accident. He's oh. safe because he's in this protected part of the vehicle, but she dies in the passenger side. And then he ends up stalking this other group at the bar. This other group of girls that were at the bar that kind of made fun of him. So he oh. he tracks them down. Like he follows them on like the the highway or like down this country road, and he ends up blowing past them. And then he like basically he gets like a couple miles ahead of them on the road. And he, he pulls a UE. He turns his lights off, like his headlights, and he's driving towards them on a pitch black road, like at full speed. And he ends up having a head on collision with them. And the way Tarantino films this thing, he basically shows every character's death in slow motion, but like from from their perspectives. Ah. So it's like a POV view of like this car ramming into them head first, and it's it's yeah. It, Tarantino really went all in with the the B movie aspect of this. Like he loved the, um, he got really creative with the deaths. Let's just say that. But then that's just the first part of this film. The second half then shows another group of women that Kurt Russell is sort of targeting. Um, but this time these girls are. I don't want to call them smarter, but they they know they know how to beat him. So basically, like they, he tries to crash their car, run their car off the road, and then 
when uh, when he ends up putting them into a ditch, he gets out of his car and starts taunting them. And then one of the girls shoots him. She had a gun on her, so she shoots him in the arms. Then he drives away, and they chase him. So then the, the tables get flipped, and he, they end up chasing him. And they end up. Um, this is a minor spoiler. I still think you should watch the film. I'm summarizing everything. I'm summarizing a one and a half hour film in like <laughs> two minutes here. But at the end of the film, um, they do crash his car, and they get a little bit of revenge on him. Um, so the movie, like, whereas it, early on, it's, it's definitely seems like it's definitely like a male fantasy where it's like, right. you know, this guy is just targeting all his women and he's killing them in gruesome ways. But towards the end of the film, the girls do turn the tables on and the separate group of women chase him down and kind of give him his own little beating, <laughs> which is definitely like feels very cool. But the, the movie literally ends with them, um, like beating the crap out of him. I think they end up killing him after they drag him out of his car and literally just like start punching and kicking the crap out of him until he eventually and then they have like this girl power moment where they sort of like high five each other and it freeze frames almost like power rangers or something (laughs) but it's just i remember when i saw this in theaters i remember the reaction the audience reaction was very different for the planet terror zombie film and for this one some people like me love both of them because they're two very different films and i love that tarantino can do something that's so cheesy zombie film and then to to be in like a more serious like with a lot of the all the car scenes like for the the Death Proof film, which is an hour and a half, I'd say probably a good 40 minutes of it is just driving, like whether it's Kurt Russell chasing or them chasing him, but all the car stunts are practical. Like one of the women that's in the second group of women that end up chasing him down is is an actual stunt woman, um, and they gave her like all the crazy stunts to do. Like she's just on the hood of the car, like with no ropes wow. or anything. She's just hanging on the hood of this car while he's trying to run her off the road. And um, I don't know. I, I think I'm pretty sure these might be on Netflix. At least I'm pretty sure Death Proof is. I'm not sure Planet Terror is, but I don't see why they, they wouldn't both be on. So I know Tarantino has that thing where he only will do like eight films. Or ten, uh, films, ten. ten films. Yeah, he said he wants to do ten films. Does for, this count as one or two? I think this counts as one, just like okay. Kill Bill. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure, yeah, you can buy them separately. But uh, obviously when you saw them in theaters at the time, it was one double yeah. bill. So double feature, whatever you want to call it. But uh, So yeah. So the whole thing is called Grindhouse. One movie's called Planet Terror. The one's called Death Proof. Um, if either of, if only one of the movies that I described appeals to you, you can probably just watch one or the other on Netflix. You don't have to watch them both together. Um, but I think they're both good in their own unique ways. Um, very over the top. Kurt Russell really hams it up in the in the Death Proof. When I tell you, man, he's, he's he goes from playing this sadistic, mean stunt driver to to being like terrified and literally just like screaming and crying towards the end of the film when the girls are chasing him down. Like he's just he's never had anyone challenge him like that before. So the way he just flips it and turns into a total baby is is hilarious. Like the audience was loving that aspect when he just when they crash his car near the end he just starts whining and crying and then they drag him out of the car. But uh it's uh it's an entertaining film for sure. Um those are my those are my so those are my first five choices for 07. Those movies all came out between January and the end of March. Okay. So, um, yeah, next time. It won't be next week. We're not going to do these back-to-back. I, I'm not, I'm not going to... So, we'll be, maybe we'll do it every other week. So, I'll say... Um, so, next week, we'll talk about a different topic, but... So, it's the summer of 2007. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll go with that. Anyways, uh, that's... Yeah, those are my... my again, I, and again, I think out of those five films, if I was talking to the average moviegoer, I think probably some people have heard of Zodiac. Some people may have heard of Smoking Aces, but I'd be very surprised if people had heard about the other ones I mentioned. Um, even even like even with the last two I just mentioned being Tarantino films, like I said, they came out almost 15 years ago. So I think a lot of people, even if they, even if they did see them at the time, might have forgotten about them by now. Yeah. So I think they're definitely all worth a rewatch. And they're all... If, out of those five movies I gave you, you have five very different genres as well. Mm. You have a Western. You have... I don't, even, I don't even know what to classify Smoking Aces as. Over-the-top, crazy action film. Um... Zodiac, like we said, 
procedural drama slash thriller. The Lookout, I don't know, character drama, low budget, like low stakes. And then obviously Grindhouse just over the top B-movie schlock from the 70s. So <laughs> uh, in a good way though. So yeah, that's those are my choices for now. And we'll talk about more in a couple weeks. <laughs> Do you want to give the email shout out? So obviously this is Tyler's favorite year of movies since he was in his mother's womb. So what is your favorite year <laughs> of, of movies? Because um, obviously 2007 is a great year. We can make apparently five episodes out of it. So, But what is your favorite year? I would love to hear that. Uh, and you can email us at whenoppositesreact at gmail.com. <laughs> Talk about my mother's womb. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so anyways, uh, like Sarah said, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, or even if you want to mention, uh, if I'd love to hear if anybody has actually seen one of those five films I mentioned before. If you have a recent memory of those, maybe you rewatched them or, or caught a first viewing and uh, on a recommendation, I'd love to hear your thoughts on any of those films. Or if you want to go watch one of them now, um, based on my recommendation, if you want to talk about that next week, I'd love to hear your thoughts on any of those films. And uh, yeah, so as always, we appreciate you appreciate you listening. Thanks for the support, and we'll be back same time next week. So have a good one. Bye. Bye.